Hey guys, welcome to The Nursing Co-op. I am so excited that you're here. On this podcast, our goal is to build your confidence, expand your knowledge, and create a supportive, cooperative community for nurses, one nurse at a time. My name's Ashley. I'm a registered nurse on a mission to empower nurses to build meaningful careers and change nursing culture along the way. In our time together, I hope to share my experiences, provide you with resources, and create a space where you can find your footing as a nurse without judgment. We will unravel nursing topics and make connections with amazing guests to give you all of the tools that you need to build an incredible life and career. I believe that it takes a village to build a strong nurse. We are your village. This is The Nursing Co-op. What's up, guys? Welcome back to The Nursing Co-op. I am so excited that you're here for today's episode. The topic that we're going to be covering doesn't sound the most flashy and exciting, but it's very important, especially in your practice. Today, we are going to talk about potassium, specifically about hypokalemia, which is when your potassium is low. In an upcoming episode, we will also talk about hyperkalemia, where your potassium is too high, as well as um, a series of episodes where we talk about different electrolytes, whether high or low, and how you can treat those things, what nursing interventions are appropriate, what to look for, all of the stuff. The topic of electrolytes was always one that I hated while I was in nursing school, just because there were so many specifics and so many numbers to remember. But it's a it's a very important topic. It's one that once you're in the hospital, for those of you guys who are nursing students right now, I know it's a lot. Once you're in the hospital, you'll have certain protocols that you can follow. When you look at your lab page, for example, you will have a range that's appropriate for your hospital. So just know that at least in terms of memorizing everything, you will have a lot of resources once you're in the hospital. So don't get too caught up in the very, very specific numbers and values that I'm going to give you here. Because I'm going to use what I knew from the hospital where I worked, not so much what might be in your textbook. So if you are a nursing student, as you're listening to this episode, know that I'm I'm coming at this from a practicing nurse standpoint, not so much as a nursing student standpoint. So if anything that I say differs from what's in your textbook, go with what's in your textbook because that is what your exams will be based on. So just keep that in mind as we kind of talk about everything. I am coming at this from an angle of you're a nurse in the hospital and here's some tips that will help you in your practice. When you have a patient who's experiencing an electrolyte imbalance, in this case, we'll specifically talk about hypokalemia. So potassium is an electrolyte in your body that's found mostly inside the cell. There's more potassium inside the cell than there is outside of the cell. But when we are drawing blood to see what their potassium level is for our patient, we are looking at the blood serum, which gives us an indication of how much potassium is outside of the cell. So normal values that you would look for is 3.5 to 5.0 milli equals per liter. Now that that number, as I said, could be different depending on where you are. Um, your hospital is going to have a specific range that they look for. Sometimes you'll see like a 3.4 to 5.1. You'll, you'll see a different range depending on where you are. But typically, if you can ballpark it within that range, that is considered a normal value for potassium, 3.5 to 5. If you see a potassium value of 2.5 or less, that can be considered critical. Again, depends on the hospital that you're in. But once you once your potassium gets too low, that is when we start to really get concerned. Most hospitals have policies in place to replace potassium once it gets 
to a certain level, they usually replace long before it gets anywhere near 2.5. In my case, in the ICU specifically, I'm not sure if it was the same on the floor. I'm assuming it is, but we had a scale in place. Most patients had the potassium replacement scale kind of ordered ahead of time. And what it would require is that we would replace potassium once it got below 4.0. And there was a range. So if it it was, for example, if it was 3.8 to 4, we would replace with only 20 milliequals. If it was, the the ranges are different, again, at every hospital, but it kind of gives you a range of if your potassium is this, then give this much potassium to replace. So look for that in your hospital. Most of them do have this in place just because we don't want potassium getting too low without us replacing it. And the reason for this is because potassium is critically important for electrical nerve impulses, especially cardiac and muscular. So those are two extremely important functions within the body. Now, potassium is important for a number of things, but specifically today, we'll focus mostly on the cardiac side and the muscular side. More cardiac, though, just because, again, that's a critical organ. We're a little bit worried about what a patient's heart is doing. So first, let's talk a little bit about what causes, what may cause hypokalemia. So there's a number of things. I'm going to list them off. We're not going to go crazy into all these details, Because again, this is not a review for you to pass an exam. This is for functional practice. So things that can cause low potassium. So watch if your patient is on a laxative for some reason or if they're having very frequent stools. Keep an eye on their potassium because potassium can be excreted through stool. Watch if you're giving a bunch of diuretics, specifically if you're giving something like Lasix Those are potassium-wasting diuretics. There's also potassium-sparing diuretics. So if, for example, you have a patient who is on Lasix and continually comes back with low potassium values, that may be a conversation to have with your provider to say, hey, maybe we want to try a potassium-sparing diuretic like spironolactone because those things will waste less potassium and allow, allow your patient to hold on to more. So especially if, you're, if you have a CHF patient or some cardiac patient, you definitely want to make sure that their potassium stays in check. So laxatives or frequent stools, diuretics, if they're on steroids, they can have low potassium any sort of anorexia or nausea, if they aren't eating very much, again, if you're not consuming enough potassium, your potassium can be low. If they're having way too much water, watch all of their electrolytes because that will cause dilution. Cushing's can cause low potassium. Alkalosis, so if they're alkalotic, if their pH is high, look at their potassium. And then if they've had too much insulin, because insulin and potassium work kind of together. So if they've had too much insulin, the potassium will be pulled into the cell with the insulin. And so their serum potassium can be low, if that makes sense. We'll talk a little bit more about insulin and potassium, but just keep an eye on it. If they're in with you, for example, if they've taken too much insulin and that's why they're in the hospital, make sure you check their potassium. So next, let's talk about a couple quick symptoms that you may see in a patient who has low potassium. So again, we're not going to be comprehensive about this. This isn't to pass a test. It's some practical symptoms that you may look out for, for any electrolyte imbalance, but specifically for if they're having low potassium. So one of those things is if they have a thready or weak pulse, if they're having EKG changes. So if it's one of your cardiac patients and they're on the monitor or just on the monitor for whatever reason, look for any odd EKG changes. Look for a depressed ST segment. Look for arrhythmias, 
new arrhythmias, um, if they're having ectopy like PVCs or PACs, so ectopic beats, all of those things may indicate that some sort of electrolyte is imbalanced. Specifically, you see that a lot with low potassiums and low magnesiums. So keep an eye out for those sorts of EKG changes, definitely. Confusion, if your patients are going to get confused, always check their electrolytes because it can be that, it could be low sodium. There's a number of electrolytes that can lead to confusion and weakness. So if they're suddenly having some sort of muscular weakness, again, remember that potassium is involved in cardiac and muscular nerve impulses. So this can lead to weakness. So for me, one thing I always just like to keep in the back of my mind is if that if my patient's heart is doing anything weird, I always like to just get my lights checked. That's a question for your provider if you don't have orders, obviously. But it's it's never going to hurt if their heart's doing something funny to see what their electrolyte values are. Do you have a recent ABG that you could look at? Do you have recent labs that were drawn this morning that you could see if their potassium's trending in a certain direction? So just use that sort of critical thinking when you're seeing odd symptoms in your patients and always rope your provider in when you're getting concerned about something your patient's doing. Remember, guys, I know that some of you guys are new in the nursing practice or your nursing students. Know that even if you don't know specifically what is wrong with your patient, you are smart enough, you have the critical thinking to notice when something's off, when something's wrong. Learn to trust that gut feeling and just have a conversation with someone. Even pull in your charge nurse. If you're like, hey, that doesn't look right on their heart monitor. What is that? What should I do with it? Just learning to recognize when things aren't right is the first step to getting better as a nurse and gaining some of those really critical skills. Okay, so lastly, in this really quick episode about hypokalemia, we are going to talk about interventions. As I said, for a lot of you guys, you may have some sort of replacement orders already all set for your patient. So if you're not getting a critical value That's something that you can do as the nurse without having to call and wake up a doctor or something like that if you have the replacement orders already in place. Now, if you get a critical value, their approach may be different. Or if you have orders such as, so within the potassium replacement orders, there are directions such as like if their creatinine is above 1.5, talk to your provider because they may change what how much potassium they give, in what form they give it, that sort of thing. So keep that in mind. Always read the, your specific orders in your MAR to know the details of how much involvement you need your provider for, but know that you may have replacement orders already in place for you. So if you do, There are typically three ways that you can replace potassium. So you may do it by mouth, so PO, there's an IV replacement, and then there's an enteral replacement. Now, the enteral replacement may be called something different in your hospital because it's literally just potassium in like a liquid syrup form. Um, And we specifically, I typically will use it when my patient has an OG tube, an NG tube, or like a PEG tube where they can, where you can push that sort of potassium in. Now, On that note, as I say push, know, always, always, always know that you will never give potassium. I am, you will never give it sub Q, you're never going to give a push of potassium. So just always keep that in mind. It's always going to be going slow or given by mouth. So remember that if, especially for those of you who are nursing students, that may be like a trick on an exam, never give it I am as an IV push or sub Q. That's never how you give potassium. So If your patient is awake, alert, can eat and swallow just fine, 
you can give potassium PO. Now remember, just keep in mind, these are huge pills. Most patients hate taking potassium pills because they are just humongous. So work with your patient to see the best way for them to take that pill. Always try and give it with food just because it can cause an upset stomach and make sure they take each pill with plenty of water to try and get it down the best that they can. If the patient is still struggling to take a potassium pill, check with your pharmacist to see if you can crush it and put it in applesauce or something like that. That's always a question you can call your pharmacist about because sometimes in directions of certain medications, you'll see a specific instruction that says do not crush or chew. So always check with your pharmacist if that's something that you're thinking about trying. The other route that you'll often give potassium is IV. So For this one, always remember that potassium is very irritating to the veins. So if you are giving potassium replacement through a peripheral IV, it has to be given pretty slowly. So the fastest that you can give potassium through a peripheral IV, again, it depends on your hospital, so always check your policies and procedures for this. But at my hospital, it was given 20 milli equals over two hours or more. So depending on how your patient reacts, I've had patients that I start the infusion and they immediately feel it and it hurts. And in that case, I will slow it down even more for them until we can find a point that they tolerate it. Unfortunately, that means sometimes that you're giving their potassium really slowly. So if that's the case, you may want to talk to your provider if there's another way that you could give the potassium that might work better if they are not tolerating it through their IV. So if you are giving it through a peripheral IV in particular, as it's infusing, always watch for any infiltration, any signs of infiltration. I usually like to, as I hook it up, I tell my patient to inform me if it starts to burn or hurt because that'll tell me before anything goes wrong. Now, if you have a central line in place, you can give potassium faster in that case. So if you have a central line in place, you can usually give potassium 20 milli equals, which is the standard bags, at least that we had. We can give that over one hour rather than two hours or more. And then if your patient is NPO and they have an NGOG or PEG tube, you may have the enteral dose order, the liquid one where you can just suck it up and push it through their OG tube and flush it with sterile water. Or you may have the PO version ordered. If that is the case, the trick with that, so those big, huge pills, if you try and crush them, sometimes it's quite a challenge to crush them completely and have them dissolve appropriately. One thing that you can do is if you get a little medicine cup, put some sterile water in it and put your pill inside that water and let it soak for a little while, it will dissolve in the water long before you would have been able to really crush it. It's an easy way to do that. And then you can just pull that, draw that up in your syringe and give it through their OG, NG, or PEG tube. So if you have that order, just keep that in mind that if you soak your pill, it's a lot easier to give. So in terms of rechecking that value, when you are replacing any electrolyte, but specifically we're talking today about potassium, if you are replacing it, you need to recheck once your replacement has been given. So if you replace via an IV, whether it's a central line or a peripheral, you would recheck their potassium after one one hour typically your hospital again may have a different timeline for you but it's typically around one hour that you would recheck after you give after you finish your last of the dose of potassium if you give it PO or enteral it's typically after two to four hours again it depends on your hospital at what point you would recheck and mine it was about four that you would recheck your value to see whether you still need to replace anymore to see if it's 
trended up appropriately, um, it's always good to double check your value. And when people don't do that, that's when we come in on our shift and and see that the potassium is 3.2 and never was rechecked. You recheck it again and it's 2.5 because maybe they're on Lasix or something like that and they just keep dumping out potassium, which is not a situation you want to run into. So try and always remember to recheck your values once they've been replaced, whether that was on your shift or not. You always want to recheck. Now, another thing with hypokalemia is that you should always consider your magnesium as well. So if your patient has a low potassium, check what their magnesium was or if what your last magnesium was and keep an eye on that. The normal value for magnesium, again, depends on the hospital, but it's typically between around 1.5 to 2.5 milliequals per liter that you want to look for. So if your magnesium is low, you'll have a hard time replacing potassium on its own because mag helps the potassium stick, essentially. It has a lot to do with membrane permeability. I'm not going to go into the craziness, the science of it, but just know that if your potassium is low and your magnesium is also low, giving potassium may not do very much because that potassium, you'll have a hard time keeping it there. The magnesium helps the potassium stick. So if your magnesium is low, and your, and your potassium's low, you may want to replace your magnesium. That's a conversation with the provider, or they, you may notice that you get orders to replace both of those at the same time. You may see a gram of mag along with your 40 of K or something like that. If that is the case, replace your magnesium first, because again, it helps the potassium stick. So if you replace it after, it's not really going to help you. So always give your magnesium first, replace that, and then replace your potassium, and that'll help your cells hold on to the, the potassium. So keep magnesium in mind always. If you are giving diuretics, keep that in mind. If you're giving a bunch of Lasix and your potassium is really low, maybe it's 3, 3.2 or lower, you may want to hold that dose. A conversation, again, that you might want to have with your provider, but you may want to hold your diuretics until you've properly replaced your potassium. Otherwise, they're just going to waste more. And lastly, if you have a patient who's having frequent bowel movements or is being given laxatives, consider whether you want to hold those laxatives while you're replacing the potassium or whether you might want to treat if they're having severe diarrhea so that they can hold on to the potassium better. That's, again, a conversation that you can have with your provider. In general, whenever you have issues like this, this is something that your your provider should be looped into. But there are a number of things that you can do, as I said, as the nurse, as long as you have the orders in place. So just to recap, specifically for interventions, the easy ones to do, you will replace whether you have orders or you need to talk to your provider to get them. You're going to replace via PO, IV, or enteral. You want to consider your magnesium so that your potassium sticks You want to consider whether you're on diuretics and whether you need to hold those, and you want to consider whether you have frequent bowel movements or you're on laxatives, and you may want to hold those. Okay, guys, so we talked about what potassium is, what happens when it's low, what can cause it, the symptoms, and the interventions. I wanted to give you guys like a really quick like 20 minute episode where we can talk about all of these things. I didn't go into crazy detail. So if you still have questions or if there's information here that you disagree with or is different than your textbook, please reach out to me if I'm ever incorrect. Again, guys, I'm not the expert. I'm trying to share what information I know with you guys to try and help you. But if you ever notice something that seems off or that you want to add to, please let me know because I can share it with the group and we can all learn together. So I hope that this was helpful. If there are other electrolytes that you guys are struggling with or if there's more that you want to see, please let me know. 
and I will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and our community in the nursing co-op. If you liked this episode and found some value in the content, please share it with any and all of your nursing friends on social media and tag me at Ashley underscore nursing co-op so that I can thank you personally. That way we can continue to build this community and change nursing culture for the better. I can't wait to see what we create. I will see you next week, but until then, happy nursing.